Hello, I'm Paul Lewis Metzger, the director of the Institute for Cultural Engagement, New Wine, New Wineskins, and thank you for joining us for another episode of New Wine Tastings, where we seek to build relational bridges through Jesus in contemporary culture. New Wine, New Wineskins is all about that, and New Wine Tastings is given a taste of what that might look like. And we're dealing with the theme of advocacy, a series on advocacy, and one of the themes we want to deal with is what we're titling this episode, and that is Make a Point, Not an Enemy. And joining me is Pastor Tom Shive, who is uh, lead pastor at Gateway Church in Portland, Oregon, uh, who is an advisory council member uh, for New Wine, New Wineskins, and really gives me a lot of insight and perspective as it relates to advocacy and navigating conflicts. And uh, Tom, thanks for joining us at uh, New Wine Tastings today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Always good to be here. And thanks for, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, and Tom, before we get going, uh, just share with me, who would you say is probably the greatest influence in your life as a pastor for how you deal with conflict and advocacy work? Oh, well, right here. He's sitting right back there. You can see it, the godfather. Right back there. He's looking right over my shoulder. So, uh, yeah, if I don't do well here, I'm in trouble. He'll break my knees. So, uh, I <laughs> Tom, Tom wheels him into every elders meeting and uh you know at the head uh, of the table <laughs> yeah I think it was John Stuart Mill at University College London or Jeremy Bentham I can't remember that they wheel in his <laughs> or or his uh his body or something to that effect so I don't know if you're doing that at Gateway but uh this kind of be sobering for people on what does that mean to make a point not an enemy and um make him an offer he can't refuse is what Dr. Corleone <laughs> said so, um, as I say, Pastor Shive is with us, and uh, I often affectionately refer to him as the Godfather. And uh, so we're going to deal with this theme of advocacy and uh, emotional intelligence and things of that sort. So, Tom, you dedicate a lot of time when you're not watching Godfather 1, 2, and 3. You dedicate a lot of your time to uh, emotional intelligence. Why is that, and how does that relate to the theme of advocacy? Well, I think, uh, let me just kind of start with a brief introduction. I think part of it was I grew up in a, an all-male single-parent home where there wasn't that, um, there wasn't the female presence there. And so it was more guys just relating to each other. And I have to admit that when I got married, my wife, Kathy, uh, just is an outstanding listener. And there were times when she would be talking to me, times when she would be listening to me and she'd say, gee, Tom, you're pretty defensive. Gee, Tom, you're pretty defensive. And, and I, couldn't, I couldn't make my point without kind of being defensive. And she <laughs> really pointed that out to me. She's an outstanding le- uh, listener. When you look at her, she looks right at you and asks you all these great questions. So uh, she, she's been great. Um, I work with two very emotionally intelligent people here at the office. Um, Caitlin Hostetler is a counselor at our, on our staff here. She, very emotionally intelligent. Our office administrator, Crystal Eddy, is very emotionally intelligent. And I have a friend, Frank Barsati, and he's been the biggest influence in this area for me. He uh, got his master's in union negotiation. Huh. And I have him come into my classes at Multnomah and talk about emotional intelligence because he was the employee relations director for HP for 30 years. Every conflict that came to HP came to his desk. And so he became a kind of, you know, advocate and expert in the area of emotional intelligence. And so um, I just took a liking to Frank a lot. And 
he and I would talk about some of these issues. He would say things like, you know, Tom, people go on strike not because they want more money. They want to be heard, which is really interesting. It isn't the issue of money. It was the issue of that's the only way they felt they could be heard in the midst of um, negotiation was to go on strike because it was like nobody was listening to them. And listening is so important to advocacy. And then he, he made a statement to me one time that said, Tom, people come to a job, but they leave for a boss. And what he meant by that was people usually like their jobs. It's the relationships that, you know, matter. And so um, I found whether it's in ministry or it's in boardrooms or it's in uh, faculty meetings, uh, being able to make a point without making an enemy is absolutely crucial. It, the problems are more relational than they are content-based. Mm -hmm. and, and what I've discovered is even being a pastor and talking with young pastors, they get asked to leave ministries because they don't have emotional intelligence. Not because they don't have high IQ, not because they can't you know, articulate doctrine or preach. They don't know how to get along with people and manage their own emotions as well you know, hopefully address in the next, you know, few hours or next few minutes that we have together. So I'm really, I, I see it as absolutely crucial to life and relationships. Marriages is the same way. Usually people are frustrated because their husband or wife doesn't listen, or they don't feel understood, or they feel like their opinion isn't valued. That's the problem. It's usually not little money, houses, cars, none of that. It has to do with relationships. So Tom, as you said, uh, you know, in seminaries and such, uh, education is so often, you know, about biblical and theological studies. And that's important to me as a, as a, a theologian. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's rarely the case that in theology, we are thinking about emotions or in apologetics that we're thinking about emotions right right uh, but it's it's so critical and uh, when I think about theology and I, I bring this into systematic theology classes and into apologetics it's not just orthodoxy right teaching it's not just orthopraxy right practice it's also orthopathy right passion right affection yep. Yep. and and that's part of that's core to uh, emotional intelligence, and it's core to ministry. It's core to marriage, and I, as as you said, um, so often it's not based on the the money. It's not based on even the argument, depending on the context we're dealing with. It's based on how we relate to one another, and relationships are so core, so key. And New Wine, it's about building relational bridges through Jesus right. in right. contemporary culture, and we seek to grow into that reality. Now, based on my recollection of the Godfather, Don Corleone made a lot of enemies as yeah. he made his various points, right? Uh, right. He, yeah. he wasn't all that good at resolving conflict. He would stifle conflict. He would crush conflict. Um, and it was a matter of winning at all cost. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it haunted his family, right? I mean, if you, and this isn't too much right. of a spoiler because it's been out forever, you know, you reap what you sow. Michael Corleone in Godfather 3, he can't get away from it. He tries to pull out, but he but keeps he getting pulled in because it's it's just you it's the cycle of violence. And so 
Um, but you're a really good godfather. I mean, I'd say you're a very good godfather. You try to make points without making enemies. And why is it easy to make enemies while making points? Why is it easy to make enemies while making points? I think that um, that issue goes back again to emotional intelligence. It goes back to the main structure of what emotional intelligence is. And this might be a good time to talk a little bit about emotional intelligence and what it is. So let's talk a little bit about that because this is, this is how you end up making an enemy instead of making your point without making an enemy is a lack of emotional intelligence. So let me, let me articulate a little bit about what emotional intelligence is. It really, it, it's made up of two key things, Paul. It's recognizing and understanding emotions in ourselves and others. And then it's using that awareness to manage our behavior and relationships. And those I think those again, please. Can you say those again, please? Yeah, yeah. Emotional intelligence is made up of two key parts. It's recognize and understanding emotions in yourself and others. And it's then using this awareness to manage your behavior and relationships. That's what happens. So it's understanding where our emotions are and the emotions are in the person that we're talking to. And then using where we are and, and controlling ourselves in that so that we can come to good mutual discussion without getting angry. Anger is probably one of the key things that happens to us. And emotional intelligence you know, is based on personal self-awareness and personal self-management, and then a relational awareness, and then relational self-management or relational management. So um, it's, it's being in a conversation and then listening and caring and uh, being able to manage that. I think a lot of times we want to be right or we want to be heard, but the goal of all good advocacy or, or good um, discussion is to let the other person be heard, to articulate their position and to be a good listener, to be a very, very good listener to that person uh, and what they're saying. It's kind of, it's kind of uh, Covey's uh, beautiful statement, seek to understand before being understood. And mm -hmm. we reverse that a lot of times. We want to be understood. We want to make our point. We want to be sure they understand us instead of saying, well, wait a minute, what's my goal? My goal is not for me to be understood. My goal is to understand them so we can come to a good summary or a good compromise or whatever necessary when we advocate. That's a different goal. That's a different goal. And and if we have that goal in mind of listening to them and understanding them, we're less likely to get angry yeah. because the goal is to help them under, be understood. Once that happens, it's magic. Once people know they're understood and they're being listened to, things go so much better. Yeah, and it's, it's not that you're listening to them so that eventually you can make your point. You really yeah. wanna make sure you're understanding them so you can work through the conflict. And if we do that with one another, oh my goodness, like consider others better than yourselves. Listen Absolutely. to one another, right? Listen to one another. And I, yeah. uh, I, I find that so hard, especially when emotions are way up here. It's so hard. And that's why it's important to hit that pause button and decompress and de-escalate so that we can come back to listen and, and not to rush into it. And when we're advocating for people, we generally don't want to be advocating 
at the time when emotions are fever pitched. I mean, right. at times that is going to be done. At right. times you have no choice when it's like life emergency. You know, someone doesn't want to pull go out of the burning building, but the fireman has to pull them out of the burning building. You you know, there are times yeah. like that or on the emergency in the emergency room on the table, you know, it, it's, right. it's going to be like that. However, you're trying as much as possible, as often as possible to deescalate. So you can get to the point of listening to one another. And, and that's core to advocacy. A lot of people think advocacy is just talking. Advocacy, right. as your friend said, is making sure people feel heard, feel valued. And uh, that's, that's almost counterintuitive to a lot of Americans, which is win at all costs. I, I, I hate to say it, but I think in our country, especially today, I find that it's win at all costs. And uh, that's not working too well for us as a society or in the Christian community. Well, we don't, we don't seek to understand. We, we seek to make our point. And, and that's, unfortunately, that's been you know, uh, exacerbated by talk radio. You know, I can make my point and nobody challenges me. I mean, we just don't sit down and say, okay, and this kind of advocacy where you really seek to listen, this kind of advocacy takes time. Yeah. It takes time and it takes thought. You know, James uh, in James chapter one, verse uh, chapter one, verse 19 says, um, uh, he, he says there, be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. That's emotional intelligence. Yeah quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Aristotle had this great statement, and I, I'll read it right now to us. It's in his uh, Nicomachean Ethics. He says this, anyone can become angry, that is easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not easy. <laughs> and, and he's right. You know, it's okay to be angry, but to be angry in the right way with the right amount of, of um, tone and so forth is, is, is an art form. It really, really is. And part of the other side of it, Paul, is, is that most communication, we always think it's words. We think that's what it's about. It's words. But, but most communication is tone and body language. And that communicates more. About 9% of what we say is 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 important in a dialogue the rest of it is body the rest of it is body language and tone those things are so vital in fact those things probably take about 75 percent of the conversation the tone we use mm. it's good to be passionate but you if you're too passionate you've lost people and that's that's it aristotle hit it right on the head it's okay to be angry, but the right way at the right time for the right purpose, you know, that's what's, that's what's the art form in, in emotional intelligence. And there will be times, right, where it's done for the right reason, the right time, et cetera, et cetera. And you're going to make other people angry. I mean, think of Jesus turning over the table. Sure. Sure. I don't think he did it just willy nilly. He wasn't shooting from the hip. I think he had given a lot of thought to it. And he angered the establishment by what he did. And I think he intended to, to raise the bar and raise the stakes and to, in a sense, raise the emotion, I suppose. Sure. But, but it was for the right reason, ultimately. And so uh, it's not to say we're going to alleviate all conflict. Uh, advocacy 
in many respects, at many times, is going to intensify the conflict. But is it constructive conflict? And is the emotion fitting the situation? And I think that's in keeping with what you just said. Would you agree? Yeah, that's that's Aristotle's point, mm -hmm. is that having the right amount of emotion at the right time. Jesus, you know, if you look at Jesus in the Gospels, he's he's very thoughtful in the things that he does. Even this Sunday, after he comes off of the Mount of Transfiguration, he comes down to an argument and he just asks a simple question. What are you arguing about? He doesn't go right in and say, hey, stop arguing. He says, what are you arguing about? What, what's the argument about? And he often asks those kind of questions, you know, full of questions. And that's, that's one way that you can kind of put a lid on the anger is asking questions that help understand things and help them articulate what they think. So hmm. I agree with you, Paul. I think, I think, yeah, there are going to be those moments when you've got to, you know, stand up, but there are, you know, most of the time in advocacy, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Yes. Yeah. 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 Very good. Thank you, Tom. Uh, and then, you know, we, we asked the question, you answered it. Why is it uh, so easy to make enemies while making points? Well, we're not listening often. We're just wanting to make our point. And why is it so important to advocacy work that we make points without making enemies? That is, if we want our points to stick. And in a sense, I'm kind of answering the question. Yeah. But I'd really like for you to develop it further. Why is it so important that, uh, you know, in advocacy work, we make points without making enemies. What, wh why do that? Why try not to make enemies while making one's point? Because you want to have a collaborative dialogue later on, the, on that. You want to have them as allies. You want to turn them into allies. You want to have allies that work together. And here's, here's another idea. Uh, the last impression we leave people leaves a lasting impression. So the last impression leaves a lasting impression. In other words, how people feel in the moment is, is, is more important necessarily with how, with what we've said in that moment. In fact, this is, this is Maya Angelou. We know her from her writings. She says, people may not remember what you said. People not, may not remember what you did, but people will always remember the way you made them feel. And I, and if we don't advocate in a gentle way with, with understanding, people go away with a bad taste in their mouth and they don't want to even advocate later with us. They don't want to compromise. They don't want to listen because we haven't left them with a good, with a good feeling. And, uh, and we want to make, make allies with them and we want to come together and be a cooperative team in the issues that we want to discuss. We, we want them to be our allies, not our enemies. And yeah, and, and I would agree with her point generally. I mean, I think, I think there are situations where if, if someone's not reasonable and all they're about is winning, and let's say you show them respect and report, they might see that as a sign of weakness mm -hmm. when it wasn't. And so, I mean, I think her point is a great principle. I think it, it by and large stands However, there are times where you're dealing with people who are just completely irrational and, and are not operating according to sound judgment. For anyone who's operating according to sound judgment and they're after, you know, there are people who would generally want the same kind of thrust, who are, are seeking after healthy, effective change, then I, I think that 
that pertains really well. So I'm not trying to take away from the point. I've been in enough situations where I, I, my last impression was respectful and the like, and it wasn't me trying to win. But I think there have been times where people think they won because they made their point and, and they just came at it guns a blazing. And maybe I've been guilty of that too at times. But um, for those people, that's winning. And there are enough people in our society that they just look at that as weakness um, to operate that way. And they saw Jesus as weak, <laughs> you know, in that regard when he was actually very, very strong. So not taken away from the point, but I think it's on the whole, it's that it, that is that last statement is the lasting impression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no, there's no question about that. And, um, and people are, you know, very, very intuitive and they are, and they do feel deeply. And if we, damage them or hurt them it it's going to be very difficult to win them over extremely yeah. hard yeah. to advocate for a point if we have hurt them or their emotions have been damaged in any way it's just not going to work you can work with all the information you can even be right but you're not going to win or I shouldn't say when you are not going to make your point mm -hmm. you're gonna you'll never get them back unless and it'll take you a lot longer to get them back Yes, exactly, exactly. Right. Um, how do you go about making points while seeking to guard against making enemies? And so, you know, we're, we're developing this point from different angles, but um, what are some practical ways besides, or in addition to listening and making sure you're, you're really hearing what they're after, uh, what are some other situations, examples, Tom, where uh, you have done just that? you know, making points without making enemies? How have you gone about it in particular situations? Any examples? Well, I remember we had an issue here at the church and um, we, we, were, we were talking about a major um, focus, a strategic change in what we wanted to do here. And I remember that um, somebody got up in the middle of a meeting and challenged me publicly <laughs> and, and said, you know, could I name this, name that, name this. And, and instead of doing battle with them, I, I invited them to come on up to the podium. And I said, you know, you make some very interesting points there. Why don't you come on up and share with us and, and give us, you know, your understanding of why your position is so important. And the chairman of the elders and I stepped back and kind of leaned against the wall. And, um, and he made his point very clearly. He was very firm. He was a little bit harsh about the situation, but uh, he then invited me up and I said, you know, you, you make some good points. Um, is it okay if I answer those points that you've just made? And I stood up there with him and I, I kind of put my arm around him and I answered those points and I said, you make some really, really good points, but here are the issues that, that we're, we're talking about here. And uh, I said, you know, deeply, I, I trust you, I respect you, and your opinion is very valid here, but I think we have to see the other side of this. And he, he got up and he, you know, went and back and sat down and a number of the congregation said, hey, thank you, you know, for letting him come on up. What was really interesting on that, Paul, it was very, he, he got very heated, was his daughter was out there in the congregation and she called me the next day and said, thank you for treating my father with such deep respect. And that, 
that really impacted her and, and, and the issue we were advocating ultimately uh, passed with flying colors. Um, but she said, you treated my dad with respect. That's the first time I've seen that happen. And that made an impression. And he's become a fan, <laughs> I mean, of Gateway. And he's still, you know, even though he's homebound, he's still very, very positive about Gateway Church. And when I go see him, he still appreciates me coming over. And I think that's just one very practical way uh, that we see it. You know, another practical way is to articulate their point of view, to really listen and say, well, here's what I hear you saying. And am I correct in hearing you say that? And, and I want to be sure I understand because I, I don't want to, you know, discuss my position if I don't fully understand yours. Um, Len Sweet said, the best way to understand someone is to stand under them. And I thought that was a great point is to put myself underneath them and let them teach me what they wanna teach, what they're advocating for, and try to just keep my mind open to what they're saying. I think that's a, a great point, you know, to understand people stand under them, you know, to understand someone else's position, stand under them. You become the student and let them be the teacher for, for the moment that you need in order to get the most understanding. Mm -hmm. uh, that's another way. Uh, another way is to ask questions like, well, obviously we're at a little bit of a loggerhead here. How, what should we do to move forward? What, what do you feel we can do to move forward on this issue? You know, and put it in their court. What, what do you feel we should do to move forward? And, and that's just being open to hear what they have and, and to be open to what they have to say. Uh, just, just doing that, I think, is important. One other thing. Don't dump too much information on people while you're in these discussions because it, it, things can get lost in the middle of the dialogue. Sometimes we, instead of just slowly disseminating information, we sort of back up like a dump truck and just dump on them a whole load of information and they get lost in it. And, and if they don't understand it, they feel threatened. So yeah, excellent, excellent feedback. Excellent yeah, input. Yeah, they, they feel threatened. And so the best thing is to just disseminate information in small doses so they have moments to our, you know, understand it. Because so often we just dump a lot on them without saying, well, wait a minute, let, let's look at this thing. I think that's another important uh, strategy to, uh, to provide for good advocacy and being a good advocate. And, you know, and I think it's not lost on our viewers and listeners that, you know, as you're engaged in this, you think a lot about this stuff. Uh, you know, you really give a lot of your energy to uh, matters of emotional intelligence, uh, self-management, mm -hmm. self-awareness. You seek to be aware of others, managing of situations, not to control situations, because that will only cause more tension when people feel like right. you're controlling the situation, but to manage um, in terms of seeking appropriate forms of engagement is key. And, you know, and I think a lot of times it requires hitting that pause button. We alluded to that earlier, as much as possible, hit that pause button and process in a way that, okay, if I'm not careful here, as I go into this situation, um, I am going to blow up. My anger is going to surface and it's gonna surface quickly. So how to, in a sense, 
premeditate to self-manage to get yourself in sync. And I think you're often doing that. You're, I, I think it's almost a default. Um, you know, now it's not a fault, it's a default. I think you're you're prepared where you don't allow things to shut down or um, get off point in terms of what really, really matters. Now you've seen in our situation, um, as I'm dealing with advocacy work for my son over the last several months and for his family in the midst of his traumatic brain injury, I'm, I'm having to be baptized by fire I mean, I've been about advocacy work for a long time in different ways, but just not as close to home in this particular domain domain, right. as right. relates to such matters as medical care. And I've been very grateful for so many very skilled and caring medical practitioners, um, experts in a variety of domains. There are times when I have to advocate and advocate strongly, but I'm trying to do it in a way that makes the point not the enemy. And um, I've been able to go to you at points to say, Tom, here's how I'm thinking about going about it. What do you think? A any thoughts that you would have as I enter into this? And, you know, one of the things that I try and do is see if anyone else there has made the same point. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, if I can find other people who are making the same point in a hospital or a care facility, I think it helps strengthen the argument where I'm not strengthening my argument, I'm strengthening our argument, you know, that would be standard. I think a lot of times we get ourselves into trouble when we are not being reasonable. What we're after is something that there's no way in the world uh, a facility, you know, a hospital or a care center could provide that kind of care. It's just not what they're able to do. But when you know what is rightfully expected of them and what they expect of themselves, if they're not holding to it in some ways, and you can see how many of them want to hold to it and find those people who are of reasonable orientation, you can make headway because it's really our point, their point, our point, coming alongside, being under and trying to learn systems to advocate. It's finding the points that you already agree on. Like you said yep. to this gentleman, you said, Here's where I sense there's a green. I respect you. I appreciate you. You're trying to honor him. You're trying. And I think whenever they realize it's not just about you right, or your own loved one, but you're about healthy structures and you're advocating for the whole to make something that's really good, great or greater, then they can hear it a lot more readily. Would you agree with that? I'm, I'm thinking you, I think you do. I just, oh, you that? Yeah, you're, you're spot on there. Um, and they, and they appreciate that when, when you help them succeed in a better way, they feel better about that. That, that, that is so true. That's so true. When you encourage them, when you help them uh, succeed at what they're doing, when you perhaps give them a tool or you respond in a certain way, you they they walk away saying you know hey I'm I'm a better person for that conversation I learned something, of course of course there's no there's no better way to go about it Paul yeah, yeah and I think higher. we all yeah and I think we all make mistakes along the way and hopefully we yeah. learn from our mistakes uh, but it's it it really is a matter of you know that respect and shared values wherever we can find them and advocate based on it Dr King you know, in making his points, not trying to make enemies, he tried to honor 
systems that like values like the founding fathers document he said we're just not holding to it mm -hmm. he was appealing to them to be more consistent in the current day in the fight for civil rights uh, but he always engaged in a way that was respectful mm -hmm. well um, and he and he always engaged um as you know paul uh, those who marched with him had to sign an agape covenant that they would love that they would love that they would love their enemy that they would not be prone to violence, that they would not move to any sort of physical violence in any way. And, and Dr. King was great that way. He made them act in love. And that yeah, was great. That was important it, for him. And even he's though they hero. were he's my yeah, hero. Yeah. Though they were thought as being weak, they were actually much stronger than the victimizers who were using violence yeah. against innocent parties who were nonviolent in their civil disobedience for laws that were more just than the laws of the land. Mm -hmm. And um, so how do you go about making points while seeking to guard against making enemies? You've been getting at that all along, but any concluding practical steps that you would suggest people make, what steps would people, should people take um, as they prepare to advocate? Well, I think, you know, Paul, one of the things that we've been talking about here, and I've heard you say it a number of times, is, is really um, looking at yourself and asking yourself in, in conversations, why am I getting angry about this? What is this that deals with it? If you have an anger issue, you should take care of that. You should find out why am I angry or what is making me angry? And to really learn to, to practice some good, self-management and anger management i can't i can't emphasize that enough it, you know that to be a good advocate you've got to learn listening skills and you've got to also deal with your own you know emotions inside yeah and you've said it a couple of times here you know I, i'll give you just a quick example and this is a very minor one but um, i'm heading out to the coast next week and taking a week off just to practice some self-care which we'll talk about next time um, and, uh, I, I got a call from the, um, the hotel I'm staying at and they said, Hey, I wanted you to know that the room that you had reserved, uh, is no longer available. Now I had to immediately, you know, say, uh Oh, you know, I could have said, uh Oh, why, you know, and I could have gotten into this discussion with this guy because my room's no longer available, but I waited, I, I waited just, I said, okay. Um, I said, so, um, you know, what, what can we do? What can we do? To, and he said, well, um, you can cancel if you'd like to, because I would understand if you completely canceled it. Or he said, um, you, can, you can have a king room, or I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll upgrade you to a room with, with a lot more amenities in it. <laughs> I said, well, I'll take the one with the amenities in it, of course, you know. And I said, thank you so much for the phone call. I said, that was really kind of you to call me in advance. Let me know what's going on. I said, it would be more difficult for me if I got to the desk. And he said, you know, he said, I would never rent you a room that I wasn't proud of. And he said, I really appreciate you encouraging me that way. Because he said, I, we make these calls and we wonder if they're helpful. And I said, it's very helpful. Now I know what to expect. I don't have to be at the desk wondering what's going on. And he said, thank you. And, I, and I, it's just, again, 
turning the conversation around to a more positive. I could have sat there and said, well, why'd you cancel my room? And what are you doing? You know, I made this reservation three, four weeks ago. I could have got into all of that, but just waiting and asking questions brought it to a really great positive end. That's emotional intelligence, a very small way. Um, he didn't tell you that I was the one who asked, you know, could I take that room? I'll pay you 50 bucks more for it. Uh, he didn't tell you that, did he, Tom? Uh, no, he didn't tell me that, but you uh, you might get your car keyed when you get there or something, you know. That's, but I mean, the, but again, if you had flown off the handle, you wouldn't have gotten that better room. Uh, you wouldn't have had a positive connection with the guy. And and we are prone often, like with road rage, to just fly off the handle at every turn. We don't have space between our car and the next yeah. car. We don't create space in conversation. Yeah, my wife, Kathy, is the most merciful person around. Somebody cuts me off. She's got nine reasons why they potentially could have. <laughs> they had a bad day. The phone, their phone's not working. Maybe they have an upset stomach. Maybe they just got fired at their job. She'll come up with, you know, a million different reasons why people can do what they can do. But that's her mercy side. You know, mm. that's her mercy side, which keeps her from ever losing her cool. She rarely loses her cool because she understands people make mistakes. I would encourage people to work on their own emotions, really dig down deep and say, how have my relationships been, you know, with people? Where have I gone wrong? What areas do I need to be stronger? on? Let me just share a couple of things. There's, um, there's a number of books written by Daniel Goleman. One of these is called Emotional Intelligence. This is the original book. Daniel Goleman was the one who kind of brought this all in to uh, in, into business and into discussion. This is the original one written in about 1998. And then Goleman has come up with a number of other ones. These are all ones that I've worked through. He's come up with um, uh, working on uh, emotional, working with emotional intelligence that's working with people. This one on primal leadership is about being a leader who exercises emotional intelligence. And, and then his newest one here is social intelligence. And it's all about working through our relationships with other people. I know this is all backwards. Maybe it looks like it, but um, it's fine. No, it's fine. yeah, this is another one on working with social intelligence. The best way to get started in emotional intelligence and the best way to begin is to pick up a copy of this book right here. This is the book really to pick up. It's Emotional Intelligence 2.0 by Travis Bradbury and Gene Greaves. I took all of my staff through this. And in the back is a test that you do online. And you take the test and then you print it off very much like Strength Finders, Paul. Mm -hmm. And you take the test and then you run it off and you end up, uh, you end up with a handout that looks like this. It's an emotional intelligence appraisal. This is mine right here, which was taken in 2013. So that was eight years ago I learned that, okay? And um, yeah, it, it's got a godfather category here. Um, <laughs> but if you look at it, it, it gives you your scores and your personal competence and your social competence, and it scores you. And it gives you a high and a low score. And then it, this book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, really helps you get skills and tools that can help you with the areas of weakness and strength. Mm -hmm. Very simple. 
Well, and uh, I appreciate I appreciate yeah. how you bring that into your pastoral work. Um, yeah. And grateful for you as one of the leaders at New Wine, New Wineskins with the group of other yeah. pastoral leaders and people of other walks of life navigating um, these matters. Uh, and as we're dealing with the subject of advocacy, whether it's in the church or in society at large or in our home or homes, uh, how we go about making our points is all important. And we're trying to affect change, but hopefully in a way that also cultivates relational trust. And uh, so I'm very grateful for both you as a person, as a pastor, and also for making time in this episode, Tom, for new wine tastings. Is there any closing thought or thoughts that you'd wish to share? I, I, I guess we've, we've talked a lot about this, but I cannot overemphasize the importance of emotional intelligence in, in articulating and advocacy. Um, you will find it a lot smoother. You will find yourself a lot healthier. You'll find your advocacy more joyful and effective if you use emotional intelligence. You will find it so difficult when you don't, you know, uh, exercise good personal self-management and relationships can blow up so quickly. I've just seen that happen. And what we've talked about today, I, I, I truly believe is just a game changer in all areas of personal relationships. It has been with me. Um, and I've, I've had long-term staff here for over 10 years because we, we treat each other with great emotional intelligence and respect. And people are willing to work hard for you. They're willing to work you know, even for less as long as they know they're understood and their, their uh, points are made and you're listening to them. Um, that, that goes such a long way. I, I can't overemphasize this enough. It's it's a key in all relationships, particularly in the church. So we'll take away from this conversation two statements. In addition to make the point, not make enemies, it'll be, hey, it's not nothing personal, Michael. It's just business. And <laughs> and the more biblical point here uh, would be be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Uh, great emotional right. intelligence for advocacy. And Tom, Pastor Tom, thank you for joining us. And Don Corleone, thank you for joining us in the background there. I'm Paul Lewis Metzger signing off for Pastor Tom Shive, uh, myself. Blessings to all of you as you seek to make points without making enemies to listen first and seeking to understand before being understood. Boy, that's something we all need to to do. God bless you all as you pursue that line of engagement. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for having me. Yep. Thank you, Tom. Bye. Bye.